Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. Y'all remember Marquise from um, episode three? I will never forget Marquise as long as I live. Freezer sex. Yes. Oh. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I do know that episode. I'm familiar. We got another Marquise S situation on our hands here. Now, firing. Huh? A McDonald's has fired one of their employees after the employee... Showed and exposed two co-workers kissing in the deep freezer. Brother named Ricky posted a video on his TikTok account catching two of his McDonald's co-workers making out in the walk-in freezer. Ooh. The boss found the video and it got back to him. And he was the one that was fired and not the two motherfuckers in there getting butt naked on top of McRib patties. They were not getting naked. That's so nasty. They were just kissing. But oh, you know what okay. come next? If Ricky didn't walk in there, eventually you're going to be butt naked on a box of McRibs. McRib is seasonal. All the more reason they be frozen. Roy, this is my job fair. Wednesday is the best day, Jacqueline. It's a day to refresh, it's a day to recharge and reassess all of the fuck ups that you've made so far in the week. <laughs> As we get into no. the hot days of summer, yes, butter pecan ice cream, sundresses, flip flops, all the good stuff. Children are being home every day, nothing to do, eating all the food, trying to play my video games. (laughs) Yay, summer. Sitting by the pool. Third. Mm, Going into the ocean. All those things. Yes. The sharks stalking you. Little sharks. Stalking you. (laughs) Why do you go to the negative, boy? Why do you go to the negative? Jellyfish sting you, so you have to pee on your hand. I've mm. never had any of these things happen to me. Okay, that's fine. Don't mean it ain't possible. Big thank you to the Job Fair listeners in Detroit who came out to the Stand Up for Progress comedy show that I did a couple of weeks ago. I meant to give them a shout out last week with Rod, but it's a, the Job Fair listenership is strong. Mm. Very strong. About three, four, five people came up and mm. made mention of the podcast. Of varying races and creeds and colors. In the nice deep. black couple. Listen to us together. 
Sexy time. Yeah, black couple. That's what's up. Listen to the job fair together as a couple. Mood JG. music. We are mood music, JG. Right now, <laughs> as we're talking, Jacqueline. Right now, as we're talking, there's a mm-hmm. couple in Detroit making out. I don't Time think they're making out to any of this. You don't, know, you don't know when when the time yeah. comes. It don't matter what's going on around you. Mm, you don't know what might be happening. Grab right the now. thigh, bro. Grab <laughs> it. Go ahead. Get that thigh. Go ahead. Oh, Gently yeah. pull ahead. How about this? What's his shoe size? Let's all be clear yeah. about it. <laughs> oh, back to the feet, damn it. Oh, I forgot it's his hands. Sorry. We're talking art today and she all the things the that go into the art world. I, before we get uh, into Western First, I do want to real quick bring up an email that we got from an old veteran. It's a long email, JG. I'm going to try and shorten it as best I can. Those are the good ones. They pour their heart in. I know you like warm shit. Yes. And um, on the heels of Rod's relationship fair last week with the, um, you know, love we showed to the military who shows love to everybody. Obviously. Mm. <laughs> they get around. Oh, stop yes, up. they do. Stop, stop up. Yeah. And I also got two emails from Uncle Derek's um, from my aunt's side of the family in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And thank what did you they for say? Tell us all of they it. Thanked me for defending my dead Aunt Mary from <laughs> talking about it. Uncle Derek dropping her off like a damn child at daycare before he went to war. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I'm tickled, I can't help but to laugh. Please stop. So shout out to a veteran, Ronnie Mondragon. And forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, but motherfucker is M-O-N Dragon. So I'm going to say Mondragon. Mondragon. Mondragon or something like that. Mondragon. Ronnie Mondragon writes, I'm an Army veteran with 13 plus years of experience as a network administrator. I had a spinal cord injury during my time in the military, so I had to leave the service. He had to fight to get the procedure covered by the VA. And when it was later revealed that his VA doctor was arrested for prescription fraud. God damn, Ronnie, you caught a bad break there. He was finally given the procedures he needed to get some of his mobility back. He's worked his ass off in the meantime in college trying to get a degree. Yeah. He's compiled over 100 credits, but as it stands right now, uh, he is in a wheelchair. Mm. Ronnie said, quote, that, you know, over the last 10 years, I fought to get space in courses. And we're talking about just straight up just you know, ADA type accessibility. Let's just put a ramp. Like the the college isn't even set up for my man to even get in the room to get the education. Throughout this time, I've been kicked, spit on, berated Mm -hmm. by different students and college personnel. My triumph is an associate's degree in mathematics where I completed Cal three with a high B while enduring a back surgery in the middle of the semester. Wow. Wow. He's progressed using a combination of a walker and wheelchair over the last three years. My last 10 years have been 13 different surgeries and countless months of physical therapy. I've been as supportive as I can while my wife goes to law school where she achieved her goal of finishing law school and received a prestigious award. Mm -hmm. Trying my best to be a father of two great boys as they become men, helping to encourage them when and where I can. 
This podcast has given me perspective on the world that I am attempting to enter. This job market isn't just rough for me. I will keep trying to find something. I will get my bachelor's one day. Please keep doing things like this podcast. This country takes a lot out of you and then treats you like it doesn't know you. You give me strength when you use comedy to point out the good and bad of our world. Thank you. Ronnie Mondrag. Damn. To Ronnie, we can't help you with the degree situation. But what we can do is send you an honorary degree from Sackleson State Community oh. College. Now, it's not much. Right. It's awesome. Um, no, it's not. It's not accredited, Jacqueline. I know somebody. <laughs> we do appreciate you for listening, brother. Yes. And, you know, for the sake of trying not to be all warm and fuzzy. Please. Keep going, man. Keep yeah. going. Right, keep it up. You didn't got this far. Keep motherfucking going, Ronnie Mondragon. Go, Ronnie. Because... That is all your kids are going to remember. I'm finally realizing this shit with my boy. They don't remember what you did. They just remember the journey. They just remember the That's effort. It. That's it. That's all they remember. It's just That's you it. trying. Either you did it or you didn't is yeah. irrelevant to the fact that you tried to do it. So, you know, when you think about the world and the goals that you set forward for yourself, Ronnie, and all of the hurdles that you're dealing with and financial hurdles and then chasing all of the benefits from the VA, Ronnie, and then dealing with motherfucking discrimination yeah. on top of all of that. Once you get in the classroom, we urge you to keep going, brother. Please. I hope I hope Ronnie has a really nice motorized wheelchair. You roll over the feet of all those people who hated on you Ronnie. on your path, brother. Don't roll over That's anyone's right. feet. You roll over yes, all of it. I hope you have four yes, by four do. tires and you just crush mad expensive Jordans on your way to class on a daily basis while your clicks stay super clean, my man. No, I want but the best for we you, don't want to be mean like everyone else. We want to ride. Everyone else that. ain't mean. Everyone else ain't got four by four wheels to roll over your haters. Everybody roll over your loves haters. you, Ronnie. They love Word and up. support you. Even the Detroit couple that was starting to have sex early, they just stopped having sex. That's all. To listen to your story, Ronnie. That's it. That's how powerful yeah, for you, you are, Ronnie. You have power. Word up. I do want to point you real quick, though, Ronnie. I don't know how long you've been listening to the show. Go back to episode four titled How You Doolin. Yeah. We talked to a community doula. But in that episode, we also mm -hmm. spoke with a gentleman that works with veterans to help them get their military benefits. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the same as medical benefits. I don't know shit about that world. But if you're having issues with any of that, reach out to that brother. Go back and listen to that episode. Uh, that that's from the fourth episode. So I don't have his name written down. This is from a time when the paperwork on this show was a, a, <laughs> Wait a, a lot more shoddy. Wait a minute. It was just it was just me and Jacqueline. <laughs> Cody already had one foot out the door. <laughs> so we we missed some shit. So go back to episode four and listen to that because that brother, in addition to those. In addition to those programs, I'm sure that he has, if he can't help you solve the problem, I promise you he knows somebody who can. So going back to episode four, how you do them from March 31st of last year. But in the interim, for serving your country proudly and then coming back to get that goddamn degree you never finished up getting, 
and punching that goddamn VA doctor in the face for Wait. being slick and prescribing to you some <laughs> bullshit that you didn't need. You should have punched him in the face. Facts. For fighting as hard domestically as you have abroad. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Mondragon. You are Cody's most outstanding employee of the week. Congratulations to you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Word up. That's beautiful. Mad props. Detroit couple, you can start back fucking now. Please. Let's get in the worst and first now. Grab her hair. Were they an attractive couple at least? <laughs> because I need this image in my head somehow no, that they're don't. nice people. You don't. No, you don't. You make them look like you need them to look. I want the image of them horizontal. I want the image of them just that they're. No, I don't. That they're nice people. Yeah. He was a nice brother. Okay. He was a nice brother. He was he was a nice brother. You would say that everything's right about him and then turn him down and right. not have a reason why. <laughs> he had big hands, Jacqueline. That means nothing. <laughs> Let's get this art week started. JG, who do we have on the phone? We have Everett Taylor with us today. Everett currently serves as Chief Marketing Officer of Artsy, the world's largest online marketplace for discovering, buying, and selling art. Everett has built Mm. a diverse portfolio of companies that include Pop Social, ArtX, Southside Fun, Growth Hackers, and Wave, earning him the title of Serial Entrepreneur. Everett will be schooling us on the arts and his love for entrepreneurship. Hello, Everett. You from Virginia? Yeah, I'm from VA. All day. Baby. What's up with you, young? Yeah. Now, Everett, let's let's just jump right into this, man. Like, help me understand a brother like you, how do you get into art? Like you, you run a site now where you help artists find buyers and you help people educate themselves about art collection but take me back to the roots was you was this always your thing yeah for for me it's it's a little bit different because uh i got my first c ever in in grade school in art think about that wow i got a c in art class but i got a c in art class for a reason i got a c in art class because i didn't understand why you had to do things a certain way. And so the mm. teacher wanted us to paint like this and do these things. And I was always well read and, and, and I wanted to paint like this. I wanted to paint like Basquiat or Keith Haring and, and, and the painters that I was reading about because he had me on some like uh, Bob Ross shit where it was like, you know, paint the trees like this and, and that. And so, Happy little clouds. You know, for me, it's, it was like, you know, I kind of wanted to always do my own thing. But I honestly said F art after getting a C in that class because I was like, hey, I'm not messing up my grades. Uh, so I actually backed off art for a long time. And it wasn't until like I was grown and I was dating uh, dating my ex-girlfriend at the time. And she used to date like a really famous basketball player that collected art. And so when they broke up, so she wouldn't take him to court. She she got some assets from him. And, nice. and and some of those assets was actually art. So imagine being a 20 some year old black man going into a 20 some year old black woman's house and she got fine art. You know, we go, you know, Roy, you've been in like rich people's cribs and things like that. They got multimillion dollar home and their whole walls are blank. 
And so mm-hmm. when I saw that, it made me curious about like, yo, what's up with this art thing? And that's when I started to get more into it. And just by happenstance, I was speaking at this joint in Boston and uh, this 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 event in Boston. And this artist was raffling off a piece, this Afro-Latino artist. And I said, you know, why not? I, I bought a couple of raffle tickets and uh, I ended up winning the piece. And I brought that piece home and it really inspired me to like learn more about the space. And I realized that there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me in the space. Right. I, I saw that I would walk into galleries and things like that. They would ignore me. They wouldn't respect me. Um, they wouldn't take me seriously. And so my whole mentality, my entire life has been like, when I get that level of disrespect, I'm like, all right, watch me. And within a couple of years, I was running the biggest online art company in the world. That's fire, man. Everett, you're not just talking about it. You're also displaying it. Tell us what's on the walls behind oh, you. Oh, God. Why are you in his house? Because his house is open Always. to us to see. Always. I know Zeroy Wood Jr. I have house. questions. So this is uh, a Ghanaian artist named Otis Kwame uh, Chi Kweko. Uh, he's one of the hottest. He's one of the hottest artists in the world, I got that painting for like thirty thousand. That painting would easily go at auction for six to seven hundred k. Wow, that's beautiful, man. I, that, it, it reminds me kind of just even from the distance. It's not as uh, elaborate as like the Kende Wiley type stuff, but it, it has that that look to it almost. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Like really I, I dig. It's it's a cool time to be in black art right now. Okay, but Everett, what defines good art? Like, how the hell do I know what I'm looking at? is good art like because i see art all the time and they go "Ooh, that's good art but is the picture of obama and nipsey and tupac is that gonna be worth something honestly i love art but it's like any career path it's like anything that you do there's the chosen ones and not the chosen ones right and i can have two artists in front of me both of them have a piece for fifteen hundred dollars right two emerging artists but this emerging artist you know is at at Yale for their MFA program, which is one of the best uh, master of fine arts programs in the country, or that this collector and that collector has already put them in their collection, right? Or this museum is looking at them. And so it's so much art in the world and to figure out what is the things that are going to, what are the things that are going to help that artist be on a trajectory? I remember going to Essence Fest and, you know, you go to Essence Fest and it's hella art, like it's art everywhere. But honestly, I love our people. Most of that art ain't worth nada. And you got to learn how to decipher. Now, it's not worth nada in the sense of sentimental value because it's beautiful work. You got to do things differently. And one of the things that Artsy does is helping people identify markets, be able to trend and, and, and discover new artists that are trending upwards and helping people who are new to art collecting be able to do that easily. And that's where the democratization stamp, uh, point comes into, Roy democratization is really opening the doors that anybody that wants to collect could collect art can do so and not feel intimidated can feel like they can be educated. They feel right. like they can get access to works that they want to get access to and not have to worry about walking into a gallery, being treated some type of way or feeling like they don't know anything. So the democratization of the art world is really like anybody up off the street that has the money for art and money for art varies. We got things on our platform that are $100. We got things on our platform for millions of dollars. And so what I really want to do is make sure that people understand that art is something for everybody and, and give people that access to be able to, to purchase art and find the things that they love. You're giving artists a place to sell and people like us a place to 
buy and educate mm-hmm. ourselves on art. I tell you this much: it sounds safer than Bitcoin. <laughs> I tell you this much, third. Because there's one thing about black art: it's either never worth nothing or it's gonna go up in value. It ain't like I mean, look at Banksy. Banksy's one of the most successful artists in the world. Retina is one of the most popular street artists in the world. They, you know, they come from this street art graffiti background. Now, when you talk to real graffiti artists, they think Banksy and Retina are kind of sellouts because they it's about the art form for them. It's not about the commercial value Mm. of things. And so I don't hate on it. It's like, hey, do I want to be that broke person talking about how like in the 80s I was doing graffiti when Basquiat was doing it, but Basquiat selling for 100 million, you know, and you still let your, your mama in them house. You got to have some business sense, too. And you can't be so stricken to like, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. All right. Ooh, be broke then. But if you're really going to want to have some business sense, work with a gallery, get on artsy, do your thing. Everett, uh, I like how you're talking about art. But could you talk about the effect that hip hop has actually had on the art world and how it's changed? Because for a lot of folks, when they think art, they tend to think about the paintings and the, and the murals. But there's also a whole new world now where it's like the, there's the vinyl dolls, like the cost dolls or the Murakami art with the flowers. That kind of stuff is now art. Like that's high art. Like some of that stuff that Kanye and them have done, that stuff is high art now. Yeah, man, I got to give props to my OG Swiss Beats, man. Like they've opened the doors for the commercialization and, and the access because this is really what it what I mean by democratization. Like somebody might can't pay millions of dollars for a cause painting or one of those really big sculptures, but they can buy a T-shirt, but they can buy a little toy sculpture. Hebrew Brantley, like Flyboy toys and Flyboy yes, merch and things yes, like that. Sir. And so there's know. been a subset of artists like them that have that are really ingrained within hip hop culture as well. Hip hop has made it cool to, to be able to like collect those types of things. And, you know, it's only going to expand from there. I'll leave y'all with this. This is the best time to collect art. Black art is the hottest thing in the market. For years, people like Sam Gilliam, Ed Clark, and all of these cats struggled. And now black art is the hottest thing in the market. I mean, I bought a piece by Mwaka Boafo for $9,000. He's going for two, $3 million at auction two years later. I'm talking about the the market for black artists is hotter than ever. So no, there's no guarantee that the piece that you're going to buy today is going to be worth millions of dollars tomorrow. But if you're interested in collecting art, specifically art from the African diaspora, now is the time. So Everett, what about your first job or your worst job? What did you do prior to understanding the beauty of art, no matter the form. All right, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you about my first job because the first job saved my life. Mm. Um, the first job I ever had uh, was doing marketing for this company called Eastern National. Now, the story about this is what's interesting is that you know I grew up and I didn't really have a lot of men around uh, because they were all locked up because they were all in the drug game. And so I was 14 years old and I was starting to get into the gang too. I mean, I mean, it's just what we did, you know. And luckily for me, my mom found uh, some stuff that shouldn't have been in my room, in my room. And she forced me to get a real job. And in Virginia, you can work at 14 years old. And so I had two interviews, fellas. I had 
and, and lady. <laughs> I had an interview with Eastern National, which I eventually got the job with, and Chick-fil-A. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I wanted that Chick-fil-A job so bad because <laughs> that number one with no pickle is my vibe. And I ended up getting the job at Eastern National, and that job was a marketing job at 14. Wow. And they they thought that I was like a college student. I guess I had an old face or something like that. And uh, you know, they told me that as a full you know full time job, and I couldn't I couldn't do it because I had school. And I said I'm going to come in before and after school and on the weekends. And if I can't do this job, y'all can fire me. And and I worked that job for the first few years, and that's how I got into marketing. And now I'm a CMO. So that's, that's fire, homie. that crazy trajectory kind of happened. From my mom drugs in my in my room, and me not taking that job at Chick Fil A, I might be a fry cook or some shit right now. So, thank you so much for coming on the job fair. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Uh, after the break, uh, we're gonna have two of my friends on from the Moth, and they're gonna talk about the art of storytelling. You can speak with pictures, but you can also tell a story and do art through words. And Jacqueline, I hope that you don't look in their house and ask them anything about their background. If you have your house open and I can see it, I'm gonna look in it. It's just like when I pass through those nice neighborhoods where they don't have any curtains up. I stop and I look. So rude. Job fair. We'll be back. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts job fair talking about art today now he is, and I say this seriously, the most liked person in the Comedy Central iHeart legal department. True. Love him. Don't know how that is or why that is, but it is. 
He is a connoisseur of hypnotic and grape soda, and on most weeknights you can catch him in the lounge at the Bold Hotel in Middle Tennessee. His mama named him Narado. We call him Rod for short. Rod, do you own any art, Rod? Are you like an art collector? We were talking with the brother Everett. He talking about some of this art. You can buy that shit for nine G's, and two years later, that shit be worth three million dollars. This is true. Um, I I like to collect art from struggling artists, basically. Usually, whenever I see somebody selling selling their art, some form of drawing or painting or whatnot, I'll buy a piece. Show some yeah. show some love, show some support. But but are you gonna put that shit up? And that was the question that I had for Everett, and that's why I like that site because. It's like, how do you know you buying the nine the nine thousand dollar piece that's gonna flip into something amazing, versus you just buying a picture of Obama hugging Dr. King and Tupac and Kobe from a black flea market? That's, that, that definitely doesn't count as what you would call fine art. That only goes down. Sure? In, those pictures only go down in value. I wasn't in body art. I know Jack will have mentioned body art earlier. And I, I went the piercing route, and I, I had my tongue, my labrae, oh. my nipples, my navel, the tops of my ears, and my eyebrow pierced. Are you serious? Bray? Wait, what is that? That's what people call a chin piercing. Okay. So I, under my bottom lip, I was pierced there too. Yeah, I was pierced up. That's all you did though? What do you mean all? Hey, I got homeboys that, that, that <laughs> got shaft piercing. Listen, I wanted I wanted to get a Jacob's ladder in my penis. No. Right. <laughs> this is the fun part where I have to say to you that maybe Jacqueline doesn't know what a Jacob's ladder is. Uh, but Jacob's ladder. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to know. I don't uh, know Jacob's if I want to know. You know, like a barbell piercing? Like a typical barbell piercing? Well, Jacob's ladder is when they put those in a row through the top of your penis to look like a ladder. I didn't like want to know. I didn't ask. I did not ask. And you told me anyway. I didn't ask you that. I wasn't just telling you. I was telling the listeners who might not know what a yeah. Jacob's ladder is. But it was preference by me not knowing. Well, you know, you represent people who may not know these yeah. things, Jacqueline, sometimes, you know. So, yeah, I, I was heavy into Pearson, man. It was a good time. What's going on in the world of art? Um, well, right now, uh, a word to all you struggling artists out there. If you're having a hard time getting your work shown, what you need to do is get rich. Like huh? an artist in California known as Carolyn Campagna Cleefield, who made a $10 million donation to the Cal State Long Beach University Art Department, and they renamed both the museum and the art gallery after her. And now you can see 150 of her own works in that museum. So if you are in California, head on out to Cal State University's Carolyn Campagna Cleefield Contemporary Art Museum's Carolyn Campagna Cleefield Gallery. <laughs> As you should do. That's what all these rich benefactors do at colleges. Mm-hmm. They put my name on the bill. Yeah. Put my, you want some money? Put my name on the bill. Yeah, put her name, name on it two times like and put her work in there. <laughs> That's pretty sharp. How much does she donate? 10 million. 10, Ten million. million. She can have whatever she like. All right. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. I thought about putting my name on some shit, like if I had a little bit of money. It made me wonder, what could I do for for 100000 For 100000 you could probably get the uh, Florida A&M University Rookwood Junior School of Automotive Engineering going. 
I tried to build a Benz part by part. You know what would be more hilarious though, Rod? If you were really rich and you donated to a school, make them name some shit that has nothing to do with anything you've done in life. Just the Roy Wood Jr. <laughs> Memorial Chemistry and Baseball Field. Like, <laughs> let's flip it up for him, Rod. In black art news, uh, right now, the rap music on trial protect black art petition started by Kevin Lyles is rolling strong. There's a new movement in light of the RICO indictment of Young Thug's YSL crew. And there's a big movement right now by rappers saying that prosecutors are infringing on their First Amendment rights by using their lyrics against them in court as evidence. We got a lot of people who are supporting that, especially pretty much all rappers are, are in support of this. And it's a very contentious issue. Now, this Kevin Lyles is a huge record executive who is, you know, overseeing the careers of a number of artists that have come through the doors of Def Jam Records. Yeah, he was the president of now, Def Jam from 99 to 2004 and is currently uh, in charge of and co-founder of 300 Entertainment, like the biggest rap label in the world right now. In the world. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm really curious about this RICO charge because those have serious consequences now. Yes, they, My they're, all cur- they're currently all being held without bond. The rapper Young Thug and his, his YSL crew, Young Stoner Life, him and a couple other top rappers and all the guys, they've been considered a gang and they're using a lot of their lyrics against them. If you don't listen to this generation of rap, the only thing I could compare it to is if everybody in Death Row Records got a rap. Right. Like, not just Snoop, but like everybody. everybody. Imagine if everybody Master P knew in New Orleans yeah. got arrested. And also Master Ooh. P. Yeah. Somebody did something. And for sure, somebody's going to flip. And I think mm. that's going to be the thing that's yeah. going to really be, you know, the tiebreaker in this. Yeah. You know, I have met Kevin Lyles a couple of times. I do not know him personally. What I can say is that he is a person who cares about young rappers. He is a person that yes. cares about young artists and trying to make sure that they have fair opportunities within the music industry. That much I can speak to. So I hope that he is right in fighting for these brothers. Because I want it to be true that a nigga dumb enough on a jail phone to say, yes, kill a motherfucker. That's the problem with the, your rap lyrics being used against you. They're comparing it to people from other genres of music. But the difference is they don't just take your lyrics and use them in general. They only take the lyrics that sound autobiographical and match up with actual crimes that have been committed. And that's yeah. the thing that's going to fuck them up is that you can get it both ways, but it, you're both going to have to do Something. They will agree to but stop generation. using your lyrics against you if your lyrics aren't matching up to actual crimes they can prove, especially with you saying you were involved in this. Is that fair? I think it's 100% fair. I agree. As somebody new, as somebody who's raising kids like right now who are old enough to listen to this shit, I absolutely think this is fair. You don't know how hard it is or how difficult it is to explain to sometimes these kids that even though it sounds real, it's not real. And then when you find out it is real, you don't want your kids listening to that shit because it's like this dude literally telling you how he rolled up on somebody, shot them, snuck away in a car, mm. sat at his baby mama's house while he, you know what I mean? It's like the worst stories to tell about people. Like, And, and these guys yeah. are 
running this shit on wax like it doesn't mean stop snitching on yourself and you won't have to worry about this if there's a person in your crew named rocky who the police believe shot somebody two times in the head on third (laughs) avenue you cannot rap rocky popped the nigga two times in the head on third (laughs) avenue that's not an infringement on your first amendment rights because it's not made up it's a fact my problem is that there are certain lyrics that are going to be cut and dry and eventually if they get prosecuted based on their lyrics it's open season on anything that's happenstance kind of sort of gray area and then you got cats getting run up the flagpole and getting sent to prison for shit that could be on the line and more than likely you're getting judged by a jury that ain't listened to rap since fucking young mc or skilo so they have no sense of pre- no disrespect to Ski Low. Everybody loves <laughs> this case and what Kevin Lyles is fighting for will set a very serious precedent when it comes to the legal prosecution of rappers. Now, New and York, they've already passed the law recently telling prosecutors that they can't use people's rap lyrics as evidence in a courtroom. Mm. So. Like I said, this thing works both ways. I don't think they're going to get 100% of it, but it, just to be careful, stop rapping about shit that actually happened and then nobody made to use anything against you. No matter what your job is, if somebody from the feds comes into your office and gives you papers that show RICO charges, those penalties include 20 consecutive years in prison and a fine of $250,000 or double that flip. Tell on somebody. You don't want Rico charges because they Some stick. hard shit to get out of. They it invented is. Rico Charlie's soldiers to take down the mafia. Bingo. And you ain't got no mafia money, so flip. The podcast <laughs> is Uncle Rod's Story Corner. You can get it wherever you get this fine podcast. Rod, as always... We appreciate you, brother. Thank and, um, you. See you next Word. week, man. We'll talk a little food service. All right, bless up. Job fair. We're talking artistry. You don't just paint with a paintbrush. Hmm. You can also paint a picture with words. Hmm. And that, that sounded very elegant, didn't it? That it sounded was dignified beautiful. as hell. Yeah, it did kind of that was loud. very nice. That should be okay sometimes. Oh, that, was, that was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this this next organization and storyteller that's going to join us, you know, this is probably to me one of the most beautiful artistic organizations when it comes to painting a picture with words. JG, who do we have on for Scam? We are joined by style blogger and lifestyle expert Alexis E. Barton. And she is with Dr. Kumanika. And they are going to talk to us about The Moth, and it's a nonprofit group based in New York City dedicated to the art and craft of live storytelling. Madam Barton, Dr. Kumanika, welcome to the job. What's going on? Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, Dr. Kumanika, I want to start with you and The Moth as an organization as a whole. And I'm not calling The Moth a scam. Let me make that perfectly clear. Alexis got a story that's going to fit perfectly into scam. It'll make sense in a second. JG, you don't like it. So, the book is How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide 
to memorable storytelling. And I think that that's something that's very powerful because, you know, Alexis, as mm. is it Moth alum? What do we call y'all as a Moth alum? An, an alumni? Moth alum. Of the, Moth alum. <laughs> when you were deciding, you know, and you did a story for the Moth a couple of years ago, and I know that you've done some things for the organization in a pre-recorded and live capacity. When you were deciding what story to tell, like, because you are a writer, you are, it would be fair to say journalist, but I don't want to put you in solely in that box, but Mm -hmm. you are a professional storyteller. You have told stories before the moth. You've told stories since your time with the moth. What do you look for? How did, how were you able to overcome sharing layers of your life with strangers? That is a great question, because as a journalist, I am trained to tell other people's stories and really to take myself out of them as a neutral observer and to be to be um, extremely objective. And so the, the idea of telling my story or a story from my life was very intimidating. I just tried to narrow hone in on what I thought would make meet the five minute requirement. Um, not be too revealing, I thought, when I was telling the story and that I felt like I would be, I could tell without notes. That was really it. I was trying to think of an, of an occasion, experience that I had that I could easily tell quickly. Alexis, so. what is the story? You, you're, I, I, I must know. <laughs> it is not, me. It's not really that shocking and it's not going to go away. So I'll just be honest about it. It is about... Uh, really my first real heartbreak. Uh, you know, you know how the cheater's van kind of worked where Joey Greco would hop out uh, on people and yeah. they were unsuspecting. Well, there's that element because I went to Walmart on Lakeshore Drive, which you may be familiar uh-huh. with, being yeah. from Birmingham, at like 2 a.m. with a roommate in my pajamas, looking a mess. And we're, we're going down the aisle uh, in the frozen food section and... Uh-huh. At the opposite end of the aisle, this couple is coming toward us. Uh-huh. But I couldn't really see them because I didn't have my contacts on. And so I could just make out it was a guy and a girl. Well, as they got closer, I realized it's the dude I'm talking to Excuse on a date. Oh. So I up at 2 a.m. with this other girl. And oh. so it, the story is about me having kind of going through this moment reacting in the moment and how I responded after because I had a very severe reaction, as you can imagine, to finding out that I was a single woman at Walmart at 2 a.m. You wouldn't single. Oh. You was in a thruple. First of all. <laughs> I had no idea. Misunderstanding. You made yourself no single. Idea. So that was the story I told. My parents had no idea that I planned to elope with this person. They had no idea that I was about to commit probably a felony in a parking lot at 3 a.m. when they thought they were sending me off to get my college education and be an upstanding citizen. And they had no idea I would then tell people about it years later and be proud of the fact that, like, I got the upside of the deal because here I am on stage talking about it and I'm past it and I've learned from it and grown from it and I'm better for it. Um, because now I know that heartbreak is universal, but it's not the end of the world. And I was in a, from a personal perspective, I kind of found myself in that boat again. And that lesson is what, that story in my life basically helped me through a lot of other disappointments because I had been through seeing people, you know, do something unexpected. 
Sound like you need to stop going to Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I shop at Target. That was my first thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I shop at Target. More Target. More Target. Maybe some Kohl's. So to that point, Dr. Kumanika, 25 years of the moth and within this book, how to tell a story. Give us, is there, because I feel like storytelling is a, if you're a good storyteller and you can captivate someone, then you have the ability to better be able to make a sale, to better be able to get a job. Like, I feel like storytelling is a very, very useful and part of why I wanted you on in the employment aspect of this. Um, how can, yeah. what are what are some tools, you know, it's just as best as you can, what are some tools to telling a good story and also concisely that people could use in their employment journey? Because when you get in that, when you get in that room one-on-one with a job recruiter, these are the intangibles that become the deciding factors. Mm-hmm. Once all things are equal on a resume, it's who's the funniest, it's who's the most interesting. Maybe you got to have on the nicer jacket or whatever. But how can people use storytelling as a tool to get a job or to make a mm. sale? Mm. Now, I think that's why everybody should get this book, How to Tell a Correct. Story, because it is you're talking about 25 years of storytelling mm. secrets. Mm in a book that you you can get instantly, you know, and you know, you're right, uh, Roy, it's like, we have all kinds of situations. It's not just about telling stories on stage, telling stories, you know, on, you know, at the mm-hmm. job, in the corporate space for people who are interested in that. You know, me, I do political organizing. Organizing is all about telling mm-hmm. a story about power, about, about justice oh. and helping making it real so people really understand the impact. And so, and everybody does have a story. This book also will teach you how to find your story. If you oh. think you don't have a story, this book will help you kind of go in. Now, but there is one thing I got to kind of, um, con- you know, challenge you on, Roy. You said at a, in the job interview, we know you're qualified. Um, you know, I mean, maybe we should change that to we hope you're qualified. Because be, I've definitely lied in job interviews. I don't know about <laughs> you. Scam. <laughs> um, Mm. Like for me, most many jobs, I'm not going to say every job, but many job involves some creativity. We'll just put mm. it like that. So, you know, but um, yeah, I think that some of the elements, I mean, one thing I would say is you definitely want to practice uh, your story a little bit. You know, I think a lot of us like to be spontaneous, but if you know you have this, an important storytelling event at the moth, they really coach you. You have to tell the story multiple times. You have to think about what's the right place to start a story, you know, um, th- that's going to pull people in, you know, like Alexis, when you listen to Alexis's wonderful story, she starts talking about her dress and the way she talks about that, it just pulls you in, mm. you know, and she keeps it going. Um, but I'm sure we all have those relatives at, at, at uh, you know, family events who just tell you a story and ain't going nowhere. You just sitting there, everybody's bored. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Man, I, so I need to know. This will help you avoid that. I, I need to know, Ginger Eye, where you guys were during my black nerd youth. Um, <laughs> as, as the only black kid that was doing forensics and speech growing up, like the, the kind of stuff that you guys are doing now, man. I Like, is there an age limit or, or anything with them all for those who may not know? Because I had some storytelling as children that could use your help. You know what I'm saying? Nah. <laughs> Well, no, we absolutely. We have a moth education program. Yes. We have a community program. A lot of people know us because of the moth uh, podcast, or the moth, which is the moth radio hour, where you get to hear these stories live on stage. Mm. But um, actually, it all starts on the stage. And so the big one is the moth main stage. And I, and I want y'all, I want to get each one of y'all, Roy has told stories on the main stage. Oh. I want to get all of y'all to tell stories on the moth main I'll stage. Be honored, man. And then there's the moths. 
there's the slam where it's, co- it's competitive, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of skip to the main stage because I do other things, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know if I would have survived the slam, you know what I'm saying? Like, I might not have made that, uh, that particular one. But, uh, you know, what's funny also is my story that I told at the Moth is actually about a job interview really? um, in a way. Yeah, it was about, it, it, well, it, that was a moment of it uh, where I probably, something I should have told him in the interview, <laughs> which was that I have no idea how to use the software that's central for this job. <laughs> um, Fake it till you make it. Fake it till yeah, you make so, it. Yeah, so, so I had a friend who called, the, so the, the boss called me in and, you know, this was a job where we, we kind of ordered DVDs. We, we monitor store stock on DVDs back in them yes. days. And she called me and she said, uh, hey, Chinjirai, um, she said, I asked you to order 200 Gilmore Girls Thanksgiving Day special DVDs. You ordered more than that. Can you explain why? And I said, sure. How many more did I order? And she said, well, you ordered one million uh, Gilmore Girls Thanksgiving Day special DVDs. Um, And now what I didn't tell her is my approach to this job was, you know, I got in the job interview and lied, right? I was just like, yeah, I, you know, I know how to use, oh, I, I, no. I just was hitting enter oh all day long. <laughs> Come on, Doc. You know, I just, I seen the screen, I hit enter until everything looked good. So yeah, so don't do that. Oh my Come on, Word. Doc. That's, that's just much too much. Well, we can't thank you all so much for coming on and talking Thank about you. the art of storytelling. Alexis, where have you graduated your storytelling to now? Um, what what advice would you give to people out there with the story to tell? And just talk a little bit about the places and things that you've done since The Moth. Uh, the Washington Post, which is where I have been privileged to, to publish okay. last year okay. and this year. And so if you're doubting right. whether you have a story, don't, because there's somebody out there who needs it. So. I would encourage anyone to keep telling those stories and elevating where you do them and keep challenging yourself to take it to the next level so that even more people can hear what you have to say because that's what we're living on right now is stories. Alexis, who's that behind you? My parents. Oh, they are adorable. My first storyteller, so they had to be on camera with me. Okay. (laughs) Well, the book is How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from the Moth. And the podcast, Dr. Chenjirai, is the Moth Radio Hour. The Peabody Award winning Moth Radio Hour. Excuse us. Straighten that out. Straighten that out. I like that. Straighten that out. (laughs) Absolutely. Come listen. Please tell your story. Everyone, you have an important story. Black people especially, I got to say. Tell our stories. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I'm just so happy to have you on. And I respect, you know, Roy's job fair. Come on now. I love y'all. love what y'all doing. Appreciate it, man. We appreciate you. After the break, we're going to talk to one more artist who is um, doing some art that I'm not sure if that's completely legal or not, where you can just pull up in a public place and start painting shit. But if you paint, you ever notice if you paint something real nice, it's not graffiti. They go, oh, that's a nice mural. Oh, that's so nice. It's so pretty. Oh, it's a mural. (laughs) What are you going for? Oh, yeah, that's true. If it's ugly, it's graffiti. If it's pretty, it's a mural. And we go, keep going. So we're going to talk with a brother that does mural. (laughs) Aren't we going to job fair? We'll be right back. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, 
Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So when we talk art, you know, you can do it in a little studio. You can do like my mama did, send me over to UAB to draw a bowl of peppermints and all of that shit. And you can also do it illegally without a permit in public places. It makes cities look more beautiful. Here's the thing about a mural. A mural essentially to me is a is a city's tattoo. True. Hmm. Right? True. And you can have good and bad tattoos. Because mm. it's a couple of Nipsey Hustle and some Kobe R.I.P.s out there in L.A. Mm-hmm. that don't look like neither one of them brothers mm-hmm. in there. Like, some of them murals, like, like I love artistry and I love the concept of murals, but when prominent black people die, some of y'all need to just, like, draft your mural and show it to a friend. Oh. Right. And be Before like, you just throw it hey, up on man, the wall. Come on. Does this look like Kobe? And you've ruined the whole side of a fucking three-story <laughs> building. Mm. Some dude that looked like Jerry Bryant, because it ain't Kobe. That's not Kobe. Yes. That might be his Some cousin Earl. That's Earl, Earl Bryant, Earl who Bryant. never played basketball a day in his life. Smoked a lot of Newports. I also think that some murals can be premature. Mm. What do you mean? In Milwaukee, there's a mural of Giannis that's already up, and he won them a championship, so I get it. But you also don't know how this is going to end. That's a good call. And then you also forgot about Cleveland and LeBron with the witness joint. They snatched that shit to oh, They snatched that shit down and then he came back and they put it back up and then he left again and they snatched that shit back down. They're with friends. So I'm curious to to talk to this next brother because I want to know what is the prep process when your canvas cannot be erased, mm. when your canvas is in public, and when your canvas is exposed to weather. How the hell do you do that shit? Art Week, JG, who we got? We have Hakeem, and he is a freelance artist, illustrator, and designer from Columbus, Ohio. Hakeem credits his older brother and Marvel hand-me-downs for introducing him to the art world. He uses vibrant colors in his work in hopes to inspire and spark joy in the world. Oh, that's sweet, Hakeem. And he wants to talk about being a black painter during the pandemic. Hi, Hakeem. Mm. 
Hey, how y'all doing? Happy to be Hi, here. King. Much Long respect. time listener, first time caller. Really? Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Appreciate you fucking with us, Hakeem. Appreciate you reaching out to old Hayat at RoyceJobFair at gmail.com. Now, as an artist, brother, when did you first start getting a taste and an interest for all of this? And more importantly, from a job standpoint, how are artists able to monetize what they do? Because it's mm-hmm. such a non-linear thing. You could do tangible stuff. You could be doing digital animation. How did you graduate into being able to monetize what you do? So I got into art like maybe like 15, 16, but I didn't really grasp visual arts as being a job for sure because, you know, you kind of have to be exposed to that to know that that exists. And I really wasn't. But I wanted to be a graffiti artist just because, you know, hip hop, graffiti, cartoons, stuff like that. But I just was trash at art. So I, <laughs> I, I started studying fine arts in order to be a graffiti artist. That's my plan, like 15, nice. 16. I'm like, I'm going to take classes. I'm going to look up the greats. I'm going to do all of this in order to become a graffiti artist. I wasn't the best at school, so I didn't have a lot of options for colleges. So I just took the first school that said art in the name that would take me. Dropped right out and I was kind of lost. It was like same time I lost my father, he passed away. I'm like 18, 19-ish. So I'm really like, I don't know what I want to do. And I kind of just, you know, just kind of muscled up and just hit the ground running. And the story I tell everybody is I looked up, I Googled Columbus art. Columbus, Ohio art, and I just went to everything on the list. Mm. So it said Franklin Park. I moved across the street from Franklin Park. It said Cosi, a science center. I got a job at Cosi. It said like the short north. Just started hanging out in the short north. And then just day by day, I would intern and volunteer places just to get just to get that exposure that I thought I missed. Kind of like, you ever seen Devil Wears Prada? Kind of like that. I always imagined getting any job was like getting coffee for people and running around until you worked your way up. Yeah, uh, just be yeah. in it, be adjacent to it somehow and figure out the next thing once you get to that step. I like that you kind of took your, your art influences from from modern things and helped do that because uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to call out the fact that you got the extra fly-ass Mirakami in the background, you know what I'm saying? And, and we had to educate JG, but that's a whole other question. In college and high school, they only taught us about as they called them the greats or whatever so i didn't learn anything i mean i learned like my fine art knowledge i learned from um from high school actually believe it or not from humanities where they put together uh english and history Mm -hmm. and art intersects a lot you don't have to brag that you went to a good high school i did oh my gosh it was a public school still it was still in the hood (laughs) 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 you still had to watch your way back on the way to the bus stop oh okay Mm. okay but (laughs) learn about van gogh and shit Like I said, I wasn't exposed to art through my family or anything. It was more like through hip hop and cartoons and TV. So the characters and stuff I seen all that. Okay. As I got older, I started to research them. So that's how I found about Murakami through Kanye West's art, or you know, Pharrell is also a musician that's always with the art. So you know, I'll tap into stuff that I might see him promote, or you know, and eventually you kind of build your own tunnels. So is that the dropout Kanye or the current Kanye? That was graduation. That was graduation, okay. actually. Gotcha. Graduation album cover. Is that the one with the teddy bear, bear shooting up and flying yep. in the air? That's mm-hmm. Murakami okay. drew the teddy bear. Really? So, it was, wow. yeah, so Kanye uh-huh. put cast on the Murakami. Okay. And then mm-hmm. Pharrell put cast on the Koss. And Koss also does like uh, the, like his normal like mice, almost like huge depressed, but extremely dope looking mice. But I, I ain't but, got one of them. But if I did, it, it's going. When I get mine, it's going to go right in this section right here. 
you know. So he already so, know it's coming. He already got it. Yeah. So how he already you got to see it before you see yes. it. Okay. 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 They, they not they not messing with us though. They don't. I don't even want to start this whole thing up because then it's just a me and you conversation. All types of figurines and yeah, I'm saying <laughs> it's, it's just me and you, and I feel bad. We we'll have I mean? you on Ralph's art fair. I know. I know. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the pandemic and the pivot that happened for you. How the pandemic changed you creatively as an artist and what you started doing. Well, the way I really learned how to like monetize my art was off of Instagram. You know, like it's, you know, I'm learning, you know, I grew up at that age where we started getting the smartphones and stuff. So I I learned that as much as I'm using these for the wrong reasons or just like, you know, zoning out on them. I'm like, well, what if I apply that to something different? So I just would scour Instagram for years and hours and hours. And I ran into some artists, Paper Frank and Maya Bailey based in Atlanta. And they were just very transparent about what they were doing and how they were doing it. And you know, if you hustle, you could do it too. Uh-huh. And so the, I became, the way I learned was never a gallery way. Hmm. So I never really was like connected to one space and had to go get through this gatekeeper. I was always selling art at pop-up shops at a concert. The hobies will all go to a concert or something. I'll set up my booth with posters and t-shirts or commissions for people. Uh-huh. So that kind of uh-huh. stuff, which was doing good for me then became super vital during the pandemic when you can't be in the gallery and have okay. a show. So on that leg, it gave me like, first of all, I was still making a couple of dollars. That was cool. And it also gave me yeah. the confidence to like, what else could I do in the pandemic? Uh-huh. And me and my homie, Ted Cadillac, he's just a ill videographer. And we decided to do a tour. So the first tour we did was just in the city. I was blessed enough to have like six, seven murals up at one time. Cause like you yeah. said, Roy, sometimes they, you know, they come back down depending on the circumstance. Well, or, so you know, just going. So these are murals you've painted in the city. Mm-hmm. Some of them I've been hired for. Um, some of them, like I think, all of those at those point I've been commissioned to make. Nice. And we took them, and um, what we did was we took you on a tour using Google Maps. So basically, it was like you were driving to each mural. That's brilliant. The murals that you weren't commissioned for. How would you choose a spot to paint? And like, did you get permission from anyone, or did you just know my art is so dope? Y'all gonna come back in the morning and be like, "Thank you, Hakeem." Mm. No, they will, they will take you to jail for drawing on somebody's stuff without permission. <laughs> they will take you to jail like like you did like a like a violent crime. Oh, so I'm asking permission. I mean, you know, the ones that I didn't get paid for, like in my beginnings, were just like if I could find a good opportunity, and plus also painting is what I do for fun. But if I could find a good spot that's going to give me that exposure, you know, people offer you exposure, but this we're talking like literally this is exposed to the street, people see it. Mm-hmm. That would be something I would more lean towards. You made the world your art studio and then took people on a guided tour of all of the different exhibits. That's that damn youth ingenuity. <laughs> yeah, man, that's brilliant. There's a brother by the name of Aniakin Eudophia in D.C. If you ever get a chance to go to D.C., all the sides of uh, Ben's Chili Bowl, he did that shit. Hmm. There's, you know, really wow. dope murals. And I know how hard that process is. Could you kind of talk about the process of taking like something that you draw small and translating it to something huge? Because that's like the perspective of all of that, man. Like it's, 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 to me, it's always been really interesting. There's multiple ways you can do it. So, you know, some people are just, you know, we'll just go straight at it and just get to work and start sketching it out with a light color. Mm-hmm. And then you, you gradually make it a darker color as you're figuring out where everything belongs. Sometimes for like a commission, like if I got a big gig, I'll uh, do a projector, mm-hmm. bring a projector outside. 
put my uh, drone on the laptop, uh-huh. project it on the wall, and then trace the line. Wow. That's dope. And then, you know, come back in the daytime and actually paint it down. Or you could do a grid. Nice. Or, um, you know, there's like stencils you can use. There's all types of ways to get that up there. Holy shit. I'm about to start painting. I got a projection. <laughs> <laughs> As an artist, you live in your head, and half of the shit that comes out is less than what you say. Your family, the people you have dated, what advice would you have to the other creatives out there that still have to day-to-day live with people who don't quite understand or get what they do? How do you deal and manage those relationships in your life? Somebody doesn't have to necessarily understand you or what you do to support you. Like my friends and family oh, no. since day one, I guess I'm just lucky enough. They've always believed in whatever I want to do. So I'll pick up a basketball. They're like, well, you suck at that. But if you want to keep playing, we'll keep showing up. Oh, I love and Then it. I'll play the saxophone. They're like, yeah, man, keep play the saxophone just outside. <laughs> and then, you know, when it comes to the art, you know, like, so I've just been used to that. I never really had a camp mentality because mm-hmm. I've always had a nice, like strong, fairly large core of people around me that supported me. But I would say, you know, just keep your hearts rarely, if ever, going to lead you wrong. Uh-huh. So, you know, if somebody doesn't get it, just keep pushing forward without them. When I first started going to art shows, my friends weren't coming, not because they didn't like art, but you know, it was just foreign to them. So I went alone, and that's how I met more people. And now I know everybody. Mm. Well, brother, we can't thank you enough for thank what you. you've been able to do and build. And next time I'm through Ohio, I'm going to come through and look at that collection and leave with one of them prints. Maybe buy one of them. For sure, we make it happen. We make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Nice. We'll, grab, we'll grab one of those. Maybe we'll do that as a crew gift. Buy it now. Yeah. Uh, people can find me online. Um, Hakeem's Art and Stuff. H-A-K-I-M-S-A-R-T-N-S-T-U-F-F. That's Hakeem's Art and Stuff. Find a tour at Tour de Mural. T-O-U-R-D-E-M-U-R-A-L.com. And um, Space Boy is the name of my cartoon. You can find that on my, in, any of my social medias. And we're going to go ahead and throw it up on YouTube, too. That's what's up. Yeah, well, brother, we appreciate you so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks Thank for having you, me. Yeah, man. So happy to be here. That's the show. Royce Job Fair is a product of iHeartMedia, South Park and Princeton Productions, Comedy Central. JG, we did it. Art Week is in the books. Um, also, big thank you to our friends over there at the Moth celebrating 25 years of storytelling. I'm going to get to this art shit. Hakeem the fucked up and gave me the recipe. Oh, no, nah, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. The projector? Ralph always showing shit that you got. I got back here. Mm. This is a Kodak HDMI projector. Ooh. So I can project my laptop onto a goddamn wall too. Oh. That's fire. Plug this plug this into a Mophie battery pack. Oh, oh, look at that, Roy. Look at that. Look what he got though. Oh, he got the same joint. Ah! <laughs> got... That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm an artist, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an artist, bitch. I'm an artist. It's official. I, you got to claim it before you be it. Amen. So, that's in the Bible. All right, that's the show. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.